seven, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Good morning, everyone. Actually, I guess now, good afternoon. I'm Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry, and with me today is Liberty Lori. And uh, we have an interesting topic to talk to you about today. First of all, I want to thank uh, those of you who are already joining us on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Rumble, and Twitter. In fact, um, good morning or good afternoon uh, to Blue Steel uh, saying hello to us from Gainesville, Florida. And Big Bad John calling me uh, his favorite lawyer. I'll take that as quite the compliment. Um, so with that being said, uh, I just want to remind you that the powers that be, the evil tech giants and everything else, clearly don't want me to succeed. So aside from being um, shadow banned on literally every platform, even the conservative ones, uh, I have significant issues, technological issues, and it really hasn't mattered what computer I'm on what internet connection I'm using, what program I stream through, whether it's YouTube directly or StreamYard or Melon or Streamlabs or whatever. Um, it's been an interesting journey. So I apologize ahead of time if we are going to encounter any of those issues this week. But as you saw last week, I was bound and determined to make sure you guys have information that uh, was on those five most recent United States Supreme Court cases that were important to hear about. So um, four or five tries later, we finally got it all. And if you were with us and trying to hang on last week and maybe were part of the first live, but not the second or third, or maybe you missed the, the final part that I just uploaded, uh, please go ahead and check out our YouTube or other sites as well. But go ahead and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, youtube.com slash restore freedom. If you happen to be looking uh, at this video right now on a different platform, check out that YouTube channel because the entire um, episode from last week has been put all together from all those, <laughs> the three different lives we attempted and the um, the uploaded, the fourth one, which was uploaded. So it's all together. So you can have that context and information. Now, I guess I should have known better than to try to talk about five cases to give you updates on all in one week because even the Constitution segment recap is like, if you add the two videos together, it's like 25 minutes. <laughs> so um, I did my best to narrow it down and I was speed talking as best, uh, you know, as best as I could. But uh, nonetheless, it was a lot of great information that I wanted to share with you. And from now on, I will just try to narrow it to one case. Hence this week, this week, we're gonna be talking about one case. Um, and uh, yes, uh, hello to Jane. Um, all right, I'm having this weird um, <laughs> image on my program here covering up um, the comments from some of you guys. So if I don't acknowledge you, um, I'm so glad you're commenting and hopefully things will work out that uh, Lori can jump in if she sees something I haven't addressed or uh, perhaps it'll just start working on my end and I can see everything. That'd be awesome. So. Um, so this week, we're talking about a case that comes from a Michigan Court of Appeals decision, but uh, it's important 
no matter where you live. If you live in Florida like we do, uh, if you uh, live in California or Louisiana or Nebraska, it doesn't matter. If you're in the U.S., this is something that's important. Why? Number one, uh, just because your governor or your health department or whomever didn't choose to jump on the tyrannical bandwagon when 2020 started unfolding for us doesn't mean that there aren't provisions in your own state's laws that would allow them to do so. And all it is is one election away uh, from being stuck with a tyrannical ruler who decides to go ahead and try to employ some of those um, older provisions in law, you know, brush off the, the old law book and say, oh, hey, there's this one from 80 years ago. It wasn't meant for this context, but hey, I'm, it seems to fit and I'm going to use the power here. It happens everywhere. So don't get me wrong. Just because the case we're going to be talking about is a Michigan case about a Michigan D, uh, Department of Health and Human Services uh, set of orders, it is something that stems from a nationwide issue. In fact, the Court of Appeals decision from Michigan that I'm going to talk about uh, a lot of today actually quotes things out of two cases repeatedly. There's a lot of, you know, cases quote a lot of other cases and, and resources, but the two that are quoted the most often are the NRA questions case, which is a Michigan Supreme Court case that I participated in in 2020, but uh, perhaps even more text is quoted right from a recent United States Supreme Court decision in the words of Justice Gorsuch. Um, so, Please uh, make sure that you are thinking about that in the applicability to your own state, even though the statute itself that we're going to talk about, that we're referencing, is a Michigan statute. And keep in mind, if you live in Michigan, I know that this particular statute has been amended um, earlier this year, I think. Um, but at any rate, uh, as the court points out in their uh, opinion, the, the changes that were made have no bearing on the case and didn't really change the analysis here. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump right on in. This is actually exciting, although the courts don't go far enough, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So again, this is season two, episode 24 of Restore Freedom Weekly. And this week we're talking about a new appeals court ruling on DHHS health orders. So um, we all know governors across the country issued executive orders of all different kinds starting in 2020 at a pace that they have never done so at any state across the entire country. And we know that some of those orders went too far. Now I'm going to say only some because some properly contained um, their, their content was only reaching out to the administration of the executive branch. That's what an executive order is supposed to do. So talking about uh, in terms of how the executive branch was supposed to function, uh-oh, my screen went Lori, can you unmute and tell me um, what you see on your screen? Because <laughs> it doesn't look like it's working on my side. You're blacked out. <laughs> That's so awesome. All right, guys, bear with me. I'm just going to try the refresh button because it has worked in the past. But if all else fails, I'm coming back on live. So can No, you're stuck with me, guys.
Okay. All right. So I knew there's a reason why I hesitated because I was just about to do that, Lori. And I was like, nope, I bet she's going to do the same thing. And then we're going to accidentally <laughs> keep rotating it back and forth. So. All right. I'm taller than Lori. So she has to make sure it appears that way on the screen that, you know, I'm, I'm above her. Yeah. Anyway, that was, uh, I'm blonde and Polish and an attorney. So don't expect my jokes to be funny. That was my attempt today. All right. So anyway, so some of those executive orders maintained, um, you know, everything in them was dealing with just the executive branch and not trying to do anything in far as regulating the people. But we do know that a lot of the executive orders, um, 200 uh, in the state of Michigan alone uh, during 2020 and into 2021, that they simply went too far. They mandated jabs, for example. They prohibited gatherings. They shut down businesses, point blank. That's what this case is about. This is about those kinds of orders. So several state courts have explained that these kind of orders are unconstitutional. But quite frankly, even today's decision that we're going to talk about, uh, courts have simply not gone far enough in explaining just how many constitutional provisions are violated by these kinds of orders. And uh, I mentioned that this case that we're going to be talking about today is a court of appeals decision about emergency orders issued by MDHHS. But it also, this case relies heavily upon uh, the case that was uh, at the Supreme Court in 2020 about executive orders. Now, what's the difference between an executive order and an emergency order? Your state might call them something slightly different as well. An executive order is simply issued by the governor, whereas an emergency order, at least those in Michigan, uh, supposedly can do the same exact things, but it's issued by the MDHHS director, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services director, whom coincidentally, you got it, works for the governor and is appointed by the governor. So essentially, it's the governor that controls those types of EOs as well. So this week's true or false question, make sure to go to our YouTube channel and check it out and answer it anytime between now and 10 p.m. tonight when we have the answer posted. The question is true or false? The principal function of the separation of powers is the protection of individual liberty. Is that the principal function of the separation of powers? Um, oh, let's see. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Um, okay. So did I go? Oh, I did. Okay. So this is these next two slides. I'm not going to read them in detail. What I want to do is just remind you, we talked about this last week. Um, not that you could see them last week until the fourth video, but hey, um, the uh, separation of powers in the Michigan Constitution is not just some doctrine or theory. It's literally word for word in the state constitution. And of course, in the U.S. Constitution, um, Article 3 is distinct from Article 2, distinct from Article 1, because the separation of power powers are separated literally in the first three articles of the U.S. Constitution, with Article 3, of course, being for the judicial powers going to the Supreme Court and other subsidiary courts. All right, so um, another thing, another main point to have is that takeaway. The reason why I brought this up last week is to hammer on the fact that there is no case law. Don't ever talk about case law. Don't allow those terms to be perpetrated and, and reused and, and, and go on and live forever. No, put a stop to it. You can call it case precedent because that's what it is. But judges in our country, in our constitutional republic, judges do not make laws. 
Um, but this is important and that's why we can't just ignore it. So um, I don't know why the spacing and different things look weird when I share it versus what I actually have in front of me on my computer, but there you go. Um, my OCD has let me know that there's an extra space in front of the word my on the first line there. But uh, at any rate, timeline of events, what are we talking about? There's some things that I want to share with you. I'm going to share with you. I have shared with you all of those things on this timeline, the first four. Um, I have not yet shared with you the newest opinion that came out on 62323, uh, but I will be sharing that with you on Friday. So at any rate, on um, in June, May, in the first few days of June 2020, I was participating as amicus on behalf, unofficially on behalf of the entire uh, 10 million people in the state of Michigan uh, to fight for our freedom because the people that were involved in fighting against the governor's orders back then were only fighting to say, well, it's actually the legislature that gets to make these orders that completely control every aspect of our lives and violate uh, several different provisions protected in our U.S. Constitution and state constitution. I was the one, the only one that stood up from the beginning and flagging everybody down. Hey, no, 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 no. It's unconstitutional. It was unconstitutional from day one. And it's not unconstitutional just because some other function or, or uh, branch of government gets to do all these things. No, no one in our constitutional republic, no one in government gets to do these things to us. So if you want to take a look at that brief that I filed, um, like I said, on my website, there's um, quite a bit of them. Uh, so you can see all of the ones that I filed in those uh, few cases in 2020, starting with, I want to say it was June 2nd was the very first one that I, uh, that I filed, at least, yeah. So at any rate, um, that case ended up not going to the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, at least not till much later. What did go was a case that was actually filed as a federal case. And so I, of course, filed an amicus brief in that with the Michigan Supreme Court on August 5th. So that's a brief that I encourage you to just, at the very least, read the table of contents that's at the beginning of the brief and check things out because most of what you encounter today with government regulation and tyrannical overreach is something that you can find support for your defense or your fight against that just within that brief alone. And like I said, a table of contents does wonders because you can jump to different sections to be able to more quickly grab what you need or read on the parts that you think would be relevant to whatever situation you're dealing with. Um, the Michigan Court of, excuse me, the Michigan Supreme Court rendered its initial decision uh, and uh, opinion on the case that I was just talking about on October 2nd, 2020. Then the governor, well, I'm going to, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Governor filed a motion, basically. She filed the motion. That was a Friday. By the following Monday, the, the governor filed a motion with the court secretly while her press releases were all saying one thing. We still have power, blah, blah, blah. Her motion was, oh, please, court, please give me 21 more days so that I can, you know, extend these emergency orders or these executive orders and be able to convert them to these emergency orders under this different law. Oh, please help me. Um, and... Uh, I wrote a response to that, and I was the only one that point blank said to the court, the Michigan Supreme Court, in October of 2020, hey guys, you can't just obviously give her more time with the executive orders that are clearly unconstitutional. She doesn't get a free pass for another 30 days or 28 days or whatever, but also that why don't we handle the fact that she's going to turn around and do this in 
whatever other laws that she finds, and I specifically pointed out too, that I said, she's going to use these now more than ever. Stop her now. Don't wait for this case to come back to court. Did the court listen to me? Only partially. They didn't grant her motion, but they didn't do what I asked them to do. So uh, that order came out on October 12th. And then this new case comes out almost three years later, two and a half years later from the Michigan Court of Appeals. And what is this case about? This case is specifically about the EOs that came out from MDHHS after the other EOs were declared to be illegal or unconstitutional, right? She just kept doing it. Now, where can you find um, all the important documents relating to those first um, two or three cases about EOs? Um, there's a part on my website under resources, case documents, and then there's like uh, Michigan governor's uh, case documents or EO case documents. It opens up this document that I'm showing you on the screen now. And all those blue hyperlinks are there. Um, you can't click on them through the slideshow when you see this on Thursday, but you can click on the click here button <laughs> that I have. And that'll take you right to this document called important documents in the cases against Whitmer's EOs. And uh, you'll be able to, you know, access the ones we talk about and more because why? Well, because you shouldn't leave it to attorneys and judges to do all the legal reading and reasoning and analysis for you. You should have the information for yourself. You should be able to read the governor's own words for yourself. You should be able to look at what the Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals said in a particular case and not just rely on someone like me to tell you. So that information is there for you. And this uh, slideshow on Thursday will give you the direct link to that. So what are the facts of this case? The plaintiff in this case is also the appellant, essentially losing at the court of claims. And the plaintiff is T&V Associates, also doing business as Rivercrest Catering. The defendant and the appellee is the Director of Health and Human Services of Michigan. So the court pointed out, these are the court's words, that the plaintiff is a corporation that operated a catering service and banquet facility in Oakland County, which is the greater Detroit area, for those of you outside of Michigan, for many years. Its events typically included more than 25 patrons and often more than 100 patrons, and events usually extended beyond 11 p.m. Now, why are these facts important? The court put those facts right at the beginning of this case because that goes right to the heart of these emergency orders that MDHHS issued. But before we get there, these next few slides are literally the words from the court itself. They're explaining that beginning in March of 2020, Governor Whitmer issued a series of executive orders declaring a state of emergency and a state of disaster for Michigan in response to COVID-19. The EOs were issued by the governor pursuant to the Emergency Management Act of 1976 and the Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 19. 45. Now, keep in mind, if you're in another state, you better search and scour and look through your state's laws because I can almost guarantee you that your state has some similar types of laws on the books, whether they've been used ever or not. So take a look at your state's um, legislature's website. The executive orders regulated many of the daily activities of Michigan residents and affected their ability to operate their businesses. That's the bottom line. These orders were so pervasive. It wasn't just one rule here or one regulation there. It was literally the, the longer time passed, the more convoluted, complex, and lengthy these orders got. 
and they were regulating every aspect of lives, playing sports, going to school, going to church, ordering you to stay at home, when when you could go to work or not, uh, how to get your driver's licenses or, or access to um, other public services, which government buildings would be open to the public. It goes on and on and on. So the court continues by, by explaining that on, um, not April, October 2nd, 2020, the Supreme Court uh, determined that the governor did not possess the authority under the EMA to declare a state of emergency after April 30th. Now, they did not address whether the EMA was constitutional itself or not, which it's not. But of course, they couldn't do their job and, and tell us that and save us all the hassle. No, nope. all they said is with that law, she didn't have any power after April 30th, which is what I've been telling people since at least April 30th, as I stood on the steps of the Capitol and said, ha ha, you don't have to follow any orders because even her state laws say her orders have no more authority. Um, I was just going to ask Gloria a smart ass question, and then I saw her connection got interrupted. So I guess I can't even do that. Um, okay. And she's trying to jump back on with us. Um, I see there's a question about laminated orders. I'm not sure what you mean, but please clarify in the chat, and I would be glad to address that. Um, all right, and I see our chat was starting to blow up, and I hadn't been keeping up on it. So hello and welcome to all of you, Melanie and Streamliner and um, everybody else, Mark and Mike and uh, others who are joining us today. Mr. Henry, Mr. Michael Henry, if you are actually listening and watching to us live today, could you please comment and let us know you're here so you don't get, get in trouble again this week? <laughs> um, so... Anyway, of course, I quiz him when he gets home from work on uh, the things that I was teaching you guys about uh, for the week here in the episode to see if he was paying attention. But I mean, he, need, he needs to know his freedom, too, even though he relies on his wife to, to fight for his freedom on a regular basis. Um, at any rate. OK, so. Um, all right. So they said uh, that the EPGA, that older statute, this is the Michigan Supreme Court in 2020. They said that it was an unlawful delegation of legislative power to the executive branch in violation of the Michigan Constitution. So then the court says the executive branch, however, through the director of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, acting under a different statute, MCL 333.2253, and also those of you who had local orders, especially in places like uh, Oakland County and others, that, that was, they had orders issued under 333.2243. Um, but anyway, these continued, uh, they continued issuing comparable orders, similarly regulating many of the daily activities of Michigan residents, including their ability to operate their businesses. So the court is recognizing the orders were virtually the same. And here's the thing. This opinion is very interesting to me because it doesn't go far enough, I will say. But so much of what's in this opinion, I was like, wow, that sounds extremely familiar to me. Why? Because I literally said some of these exact same things and pulled some of these exact same quotes when I did my brief on October 9th to the Michigan Supreme Court 
when I was trying to warn them, the governor is simply going to use 2253, 333.2253, and try to do the exact same things to us. Handle it now. Well, three years later, the Court of Appeals is pulling some of those very same quotes, uh, saying that the day the Supreme Court issued in race certified questions, Governor Whitmer issued a press release stating the decision was deeply disappointing. How dare we follow the Constitution? And she vehemently disagreed with the court's interpretation of the Michigan Constitution and that many of the responsive measures I have put into place to control the spread of the virus will continue under altern alternative sources of authority that were not at issue in today's ruling. So again, she's saying, well, they only declared that one statute unconstitutional, even though these other two do the exact same thing in the exact same way, if not worse. I'm not gonna, you know, follow the underlying premise here that we have to follow the constitution. No, as the governor of Michigan, I'm just gonna do whatever I want and just use one of these other equally obviously equally unconstitutional statutes. So, oh, Mr. Henry is joining us on Rumble. Thank you, and uh, YouTube. <laughs> so, all right, so the facts. Now these facts, if you're watching the screen, you can actually see the text is from a brief. Well, that's because I literally told the court, the Michigan Supreme Court, these very words in 2020. These are, these are sentences out of my brief. I said, even more concerning is that the governor and the director of Health and Human Services in Michigan seek to ensure that the same, that some responsive measures can be placed under alternative executive authority as declared in their motion for immediate consideration. In fact, the governor told us on social media, the court had held that the law was unconstitutional, but that ruling doesn't mean all the protections will have to go away. This is this is me quoting the governor's words. I have additional powers that I will use to protect our families from the virus. Namely, the Department of Health and Human Services will issue epidemic orders to maintain our statewide mask mandate and limitation on gatherings. I mean, she couldn't have made it any easier for me to be able to copy and paste from her words in her briefings and her press releases uh, to show exactly what she was up to. After explaining how the new MDHHS emergency order restricting gathering sizes and requiring face coverings in public and public spaces should um, should sound familiar because that's what we've been doing and we're going to keep doing it. She's literally saying, hey, this should sound familiar because everything we had been doing, we're going to keep doing under these other kinds of orders. So after she said that, she also emphasized that as your governor, I will continue to use every tool in my disposal to combat COVID-19. That includes combating your individual freedoms. Did she come out and say that? Well, probably at some point, and people still applaud and vote for her, but you know, that's stupidity of humanity at some points. I continue to let everybody know that despite the court invalidating all the governor's uh, COVID-19 EO mandates since May 1st, because that's all the Supreme Court did, they still left open many avenues for the governor and legislature to work together to address this challenge. Again, the the it's so misplaced. What they're saying is, sure, you can over-regulate us as long as you involve the legislative branch. If it's just the executive branch doing it, that's a no-no. It's unconstitutional because it's also violating our civil liberties, our constitutionally protected rights, but at any rate. Um, even just focusing on one part of the Constitution, like the separation of powers, 
uh, a guess is better than just continuing to allow her to get away with it. Um, this is because respecting, and this is me quoting um, the Michigan Supreme Court earlier, their earlier decision. This is because respecting the separation of powers forecloses no substantive outcomes. It only requires us to respect along the way one of the most vital of the procedural protections of individual liberty found in our Constitution. So again, it's a vital procedural protection of individual liberty. What is that? They're referencing the separation of powers. Um, but the governor remains focused on continuing to combat COVID-19 through unilateral methods that violate various constitutional provisions. And then I, I left on the, uh, this next slide for you just um, some of the quotes that literally came right from the governor's press releases and things that she was saying. Um, so such as after 21 days, many of the responsive measures I've put into place to control the spread of the virus will continue under alternative sources of authority that were not at issue in today's ruling. Um, and where the governor is saying that um, in the absence of the governor's emergency orders or executive orders, it is necessary to issue orders under the public health code addressing these topics. I mean, literally, she laid it out there. That's what she said on uh, Friday, October 2nd. So it just it just dumbfounds me. And then posted it on the, the governor's website, so it's not like it was a secret. And for some reason, I'm having a huge lag in video. Um, Shoot, and Lori's video is gone. Hey, Lori, um, I'm going to throw you in here for a second. Um, are you there? Lori. Okay. Lori, jump in and let me know if you are able to um, speak at all on any of this. Um, I do have some interaction I want to have with you about this, but uh, I guess the connection is giving issues. Now, she's in a different state than I am, so it's not the same hardware uh, or anything. And like we saw last week, we it's not even the software because we tried different softwares and also had an issue. So, all right. So I told the court three years ago, the Supreme Court, instead of heeding this instruction from the court, the governor simply shifted her reliance from the two statutes she had been using over to MCL 333.2253 and 2453. But just as the legislature had no constitutional authority to make the governor a legislator, allowing her to issue laws, basically, right? It likewise had no constitutional authority to make her subordinates, those still in the executive branch, the people that work for her, legislators. The governor told us on October 6th that the director is an important part of her administration. The director of health and human services is, is an important part of her administration. And she's very pleased with the action he's taking by using these new orders and would anticipate more. So by her own admission, I urged the court, the governor is simply trying to exercise the same legislative powers through the public health code that she was prohibited by the constitution from using through the EPGA. Now, what's funny is that I literally, I mean, these are the words of a brief that I wrote three years ago to the Michigan Supreme Court. And if you look at this case that came out just two weeks ago, three weeks ago from the Michigan Court of Appeals on 
MCL 333.2253. It's like they were copying and pasting large sections of my brief because over and over again, they're saying some of this. Um, she, she went so far as to say that the orders are going to be extended, not only in length, but in scope. And, uh, and she says that it remains the law in Michigan right now through the director's epidemic orders that you have to mask up and do all these other things. It's disturbing. Anyway, so what I pointed out to the court was that these uh, orders not only are telling us what to do or told us what to do, um, but they were punishable by a misdemeanor six-month term of imprisonment and or a $200 fine and a civil fine of up to $1,000 a day, um, as well as license, licensing sanctions if you own a business or whatnot. And so it was, I mean, it was terrible that you could have, um, let me put it another way, as I worded it here, among other things, the director's orders severely limit our right to peaceably assemble, operate our businesses at normal capacity, and require us to wear masks. Again, the same things that are at issue in this order. So uh, <laughs> there's some important takeaways here with this case. Um, quick, I'm gonna jump back to the comments section to make sure I didn't miss out on questions or whatnot. Um, uh, And somebody, Melanie on YouTube says, orders give police more unconstitutional authority than they already have. Uh, actually, they don't. I, I mean, these orders didn't give them any more authority because their job is simply to enforce. Um, in fact, it's not authority at all, right? If it's if it's unconstitutional, then it's not authority. It's just tyranny. So um, anyway, they didn't specifically, these particular orders, um, it, it, you might be talking about something different completely, but these particular orders didn't... Uh, give you know law enforcement any particular authority or whatnot they're just saying you have to enforce these orders as though they're laws which they weren't all right so a couple of things i want to point out about this case um so they point out of course dhs tried to say as they said in all of the cases that have been coming about these orders they're like this issue is moot why is it moot well because we rescinded that order that order is not in place anymore now, what I argued from the very beginning was, okay, that particular order is not in place anymore, but that's because they rescinded it and replaced it with a subsequent order. Or there was a period of two months in there in the beginning of 2021 where the governor took away the orders uh, that, that restricted gatherings and, and operating your businesses, basically lessened most of those orders, but then two months later just put them back in place uh, starting in March of 2021. So... Um, it you know, doesn't seem like it would make sense if the court agreed with the, the governor on this that, well, you can just issue whatever orders you want that are illegal and unconstitutional, and we can never address it in court because, you know, by the time we get to a hearing, you would have already said, oh, I'll just rescind that order for now. No, that makes no sense. So the court points out the MDHHS, their exercise of authority under this particular statute is an issue of public significance that is likely to recur or happen again, but it, 
is likely also to evade judicial review otherwise. It's kind of like the Roe v. Wade case. Um, the only thing I probably agree with about the whole Roe v. Wade case is it the issue of standing, where the, where the court says, okay, a pregnancy, if this was an actual pregnancy right now that was going on, and we started this litigation over Roe v. Wade, the pregnancy would be done one way or another by the time the case reached all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, because it, the justice system moves extremely slowly. Uh, courts don't hear cases that fast. So what would that mean? That if there was ever a case, anything related to pregnancy at all, that you could just never get into court about it because it would take too long? No, that makes no sense. So again, the only thing I believe that I would ever agree with about Roe v. Wade is how they address the issue of standing, that even though it might technically be a moot point because that pregnancy is is over at this point, either the child was born or there was a miscarriage or an abortion or whatever, um, they're still going to have to handle these issues because they're important and they affect a lot of people. Now, here's some interesting stuff. This one is where the, the Court of Appeals in Michigan is actually quoting from the United States Supreme Court on a case from this year, uh, Arizona v. Security of Home, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. Since 2020, this is Justice Gorsuch. I can't even talk today. His, his name is awful for me to try to pronounce on a regular day. We, have, we may have experienced the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in the peacetime history of our country, which forced individuals to fight for their freedoms in court on emergency timetables. Um, and a couple of other important takeaways. An appeals court not only has the ability and discretion, but indeed the duty, meaning it's something they must do to address a moot issue when the issue is one of public significance and is likely to recur yet evade judicial review just because cases take longer than what the incident was about. That's what this court said. There is a duty to handle these issues. So let's hope that this is going to continue and the courts will actually keep following up with their duty to handle these issues. Um, what's interesting is the dissent, of course, is arguing, oh, no, this is moot. Oh, no, we shouldn't deal with this. We, we shouldn't deal with the case on its merits or anything like that. And the, the lead opinion in the case, they address that. And they say, we do not brush aside mootness concerns as, as the dissent suggests, nor do we shrink from reaching the merits of this case. Diving into turbulent waters, this is the important part, guys, Diving into turbulent waters is the task assigned to us as an appeals court. That is what the taxpayers of Michigan pay us to do. Resolve legal disputes in a court of law so that the litigants do not choose other less savory methods of resolving their differences. And that's the thing that Michigan Supreme Court was supposed to do. The taxpayers of Michigan were owed the court to step up and do the right thing and address all of the statutes that were being involved at that time, not just the narrowest, tiniest little provisions, because the other um, the other of the two original statutes, the EMA is still on the books in Michigan. Well, so was the public health code part uh, that's being used here as well. Now, here's some bad. It's in red. <laughs> this is some bad stuff that was in this decision that I wanted to point out for a variety of reasons. You could tell, though, that their heart is in the right place. They just need to get a little bit better understanding of the Constitution. First, 
the vindication of constitutional rights is sometimes a time-consuming exercise, but a necessary one to the health of a democracy. Okay, their intent and the meaning behind those words is spot on. But what they're talking about isn't just constitutional rights. They're not just talking about things that are unique to our particular system of government. Those would be true constitutional rights, rights that weren't specifically granted by God. But there are a lot of rights that are God-given liberties that are protected by the Constitution, and hence not just called constitutional rights, but constitutionally protected rights. Um, and so those are implicated here, but they don't really word it that way. And of course, the health of a democracy? Come on, guys. <laughs> It's not a democracy. Article 4, Section 4 of our U.S. Constitution makes it pretty clear. We live in a constitutional republic, not a democracy. It's really disturbing to see so many judges and um, state attorneys and governors and legislators talking about our democracy. If you think we have a democracy, you should be prohibited from being in government at all. Sorry, I'm checking out um, a comment from Rick on Facebook. Michigan was the bellwether for unconstitutional EOs that were later rolled out in other states and in Washington, D.C. The left knew that the EOs would be overturned, but the damage done while they were in place was irreversible. So many lives and small businesses were eliminated by the tyrannical acts, and that is true. And love this gal. This is one of my good friends from Michigan, Jane Locke. She says, sorry, but I don't obey unconstitutional edicts coming from anyone. Rock on. That is why you are one of my good personal friends, Jane. So um, love it. Um, are there any other? I just wanted to make sure. Um, okay. I think I was up to date on all those. Now, here's the other thing. Like I said, the Michigan Supreme Court, I told them to address, I begged them to address the statute MCL 333.2253 and 22453 uh, in uh, in 2020. I said, hey, the original case was about, you know, two other laws, EMA and EPGA, but the public health code is important. It's, it's covering the same bases here. It's the same parties. It's the same order. I mean, it's the same topic. So why would we not address it now? Address it now, please, 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 in 2020. Now, this court, the Court of Appeals, herg. so this is what they say. Because we hold that MCL 333.2253 is an unconstitutional delegation of legislative authority, so it violates the separation of powers, we decline to reach plaintiff's claims that defendant violated plaintiff's right to substantive and procedural due process. What does that mean? Well, we said it was unconstitutional because it violated the separation of powers, but we're not going to really address the, the bigger concerns, I would say, which are our God-given liberties were impacted, were infringed upon, were shut down. Our right to life, liberty, and property, our right to, uh, you know, carry on business and um, freely worship, to gather in public places or any places. Uh, for those of you who were not in Michigan and did not know about the orders, the governor's orders and subsequently these DHHS orders literally tried to, to um, limit you from having anybody in your house 
and when they you know tried to open it up a little bit then you could have i don't want to know what the numbers were it was like five people or 10 people total in your house i mean who's gonna tell me that i can't have people over to my house it's my house it's not yours if you work for the government you're not invited um but other than that i get to say you know if i want to have people over so Um, and Melanie is asking a question, so I'm going to address that. She says, we're not a democratic republic. We have senators, the republic, and we elect them using democracy. We don't elect them using democracy. That's If you look up the definition of republic, it is where we, the people, elect, our rep elect representatives to represent us, but we maintain the ultimate control and authority. So that's, I mean, that's literally the definition of a republic. It's not using democracy uh, to further the concept of a republic. No, that's just the definition of a republic itself has the uh, electing of, of representatives. So democracy is where there are no people that are doing, um, you know, the functions of government that we, the people ourselves, are voting on every single thing uh, all the time there's nobody doing the day-to-day -day work for us who knows maybe that's what we need to do is go back to that and we don't have governmental decision makers or legislative bodies we just have everything going to the people because the people that we elect don't listen to us anyway and violate the constitution might as well have the people uh be directly in charge um but anyway it is not a democracy it is a republic so good question um Let's see, were there any other? And then Rick, Rick on Facebook was asking, what's the difference between a democracy and a republic? Um, okay, so and he was explaining on Facebook basically what I was saying at this point. Um, Amy P on YouTube, if people really knew their rights and constitution, they would treat these illegal edicts as null and void as it should be. Oh, Lord. <sighs> my understanding is when my screen goes blank, you can still hear me. But if you can, if you guys can bear with me for a minute, I'm going to refresh this to make sure that you guys can, in fact, still hear me. So bear with me for just a moment. Hi again. But, oh, and it gets me off the stream. That's awesome. All right, guys. So um, I'm just going to, let's see. What's a good thing to leave it on? Give me a second here, guys. I'm just going to throw this. All right. So, okay. Um, yes, <laughs> Lori's pointing out that... Uh, the big tech giants don't want me talking about this stuff. So anyway, um, all right. So there are some other things I wanna point out about this case. Um, okay, so one of the biggest things, like I said, they're not focusing on all of the other parts of the constitution that are violated by orders like these. Orders that force mask wearing or jabs or for you to shut your business down or uh, that limit gatherings of people, those are, inherently unconstitutional for many reasons. I mean, just look at the First Amendment alone, uh, but then you have, uh, let's see, what was it? 
um, I think it was Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10. Give me a second. I will actually just look it up. Um, but we have... Yeah, so Section 9 of the U.S., Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution. Um, let's see. Oh, goodness, that's Bill of Attainder. Where is it? Law impairing the obligation of contracts. So, yes, yeah, so it's saying that Congress can pass no, no law impairing the obligation of contracts. If running your business is not part and parcel with uh, the law of contracts, then I don't know what would be. So it's it's contracts here, contracts there, contracts for your employees, contracts for your suppliers and your vendors and uh, your advertisers or whomever, right? Any kind of independent contractor, your accountant, your attorney. It's a land of contracts. That's what running a business is. And Article 1, Section 10 of our U.S. Constitution hammers on that. Hey, guys. Hey, you can't impair contracts. Well, these executive orders literally did just that. But they also, like I said, violated um, the First Amendment, our rights to peaceably assemble and speak freely, uh, have media, all of the above. So at any rate, um, even though this decision doesn't talk about those, and they said they don't have to talk about those, they should have. What they do say, though, is that the legislature's grant of authority to MDHHS in MCL 333.2253 is so broad and without any cognizable standard for the exercise of that authority that it constitutes an undelegation, an unconstitutional delegation of power. Now, there's a lot of extra words in there that shouldn't be in there. You know why? Because what it should say is the legislature's grant of authority to MDHHS is unconstitutional, period. You can't delegate power, period. They seem to say these things, but don't take them to heart. So, um, in fact, they, they quote the Michigan Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court in a couple of aspects here. The power conferred upon the legislature to make laws cannot be delegated by that department to any other body or authority. Strictly speaking, there is no acceptable delegation of legislative power. This is right out of the same case, yet they're saying, well, but uh, there actually is an acceptable delegation of power as long as it's got all these other rules that are followed. Seriously? Just make it simple, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Um, if it's unconstitutional, if it's a delegation of power from one branch of the government to another, it's unconstitutional. All right. Um, something I wanted to point out to you guys, too, um, a little bit off topic from what we were just talking about is um, actually, they're quoting a case from the Supreme Court in 2018. Statutes are presumed to be constitutional and courts have a duty to construe a statute as constitutional unless its unconstitutional constitutionality is clearly apparent. So I don't know if you guys knew that or not, um, but it's actually a rule. It's, a, it's the case precedent that courts are, you know, claiming that they are bound to start with, on the premise, hey, Every single law, every single edict by the government is constitutional, unless it's obvious that it's not constitutional. 
And that's really disturbing to me. I get what they're saying because they're saying otherwise, if we started with the notion that nothing is constitutional, then government would never be able to fulfill any of its actual purposes, let alone all these invented purposes that they've created later on. But the Michigan Constitution, and we talked about this last week, Florida Constitution has one of the similar provisions. Your state's constitution, if you're in another state, I can almost guarantee you will have a similar provision. But this is what it says, the words of the uh, Michigan Constitution. It's Article 3, Section 2, and it's literally entitled Separation of Powers. And it says the powers of government are divided into three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. No person exercising the powers of one branch shall exercise this power exercise powers properly belonging to another branch, except as expressly provided in this constitution. Um, and I would say, well, then it shouldn't even be provided that they can exercise the power of another, you know, just the fact that the, our state constitution says that doesn't mean it's supposed to be. Now, here's something that the Michigan Supreme Court stated point blank in 2020 um, that the court here is just reiterating. The principal function of the separation of powers is the protection of individual liberty. The irony here is that they don't talk about how any of the individual liberties were compromised or trampled upon. They just say, yeah, just kind of like, yeah, it happened. So let's focus on the fact that it should be the legislative branch doing it instead of the, anyway. Um, Let's see. So, yeah, so we talked about in my brief with the court and in this court decision, it talks about that the court, uh, that the legislature cannot go around making other legislators. They can make laws. So they can't make, um, for example, we did an episode about um, uh, DNR, Department of Natural Resources, uh, set of rules that the statutes basically allowed the DNR to, um, and some other government agency to come up with all kinds of rules and regulations about hunting and fishing. And, you know, things can lead to you being permanently banned if you violate one of these, you know, rules that they've come out with. Uh, that's not what the legislature is allowed to do. The legislature is not allowed to make legislators. The legislature is allowed to make laws. That's it. But they keep delegating their authority away to executive branch bodies or, you know, committees even, or you name it. And the thing is, I don't know why we can't just all pay attention to the words that are quoted over and over and over again, and has been supposedly the case law uh, or case precedent for many years. Strictly speaking, there is no, and the emphasis is written here. I didn't add the emphasis to the word no, but they say there is no acceptable delegation of legislative power. Okay, great. So why is the whole rest, like, why do you take another 10 pages to discuss a, a delegation of power? It is a delegation of power, period. Again, they come to the right conclusion that it's unconstitutional, but nonetheless. Um, all right. Um, a couple of other things. Oh, yes. This I thought you guys would get a kick out of. Okay. So, so they talk about, uh, the statute involved here, which again, this is a Michigan statute, but you have one on the books in your own state. There are ones on the books here in the state of Florida. Um, 
that I've talked about briefly about a year or so ago. Um, sorry, I'm just checking up on um, comments and questions. Okay. You can't defend what you don't know. Awesome point that Amy P was pointing out on um, YouTube today. So, okay. So listen to this, guys. Okay, so in these orders that are out of MCL 333.2253, it's talking about epidemics, right? So if the director makes a determination that um, control of an epidemic is necessary to protect the public health, that's the wording of the law involved here, then they can issue whatever orders. They could do all kinds of things, right? It doesn't actually specify exactly what they could do. We can get to that in a second. So what, it, what the court here is pointing out is that the word epidemic is not defined in the law. So if it's not defined there, where do you look? We look at what the common word means to the rest of us, right? The average Joe. And you're going to look at a common dictionary like Webster's. The Merriam-Webster dictionary is, is what they quote here. So if you ever need to look up a dictionary definition, uh, for a term that you think is not defined in the law, check out um, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary because it's the most commonly used one across the U.S. But anyway, so what they're saying is the statute does not define the word epidemic. Interestingly, in the field of public health, use of the term epidemic is not even restricted to a contagion, nor even to disease. For example, this stuff gets good, guys. The Centers of for disease control, the CDC has declared that obesity is a, is a national epidemic and opioid overdose is a national epidemic. According to the World Health Organization, the tobacco epidemic poses one of the bi biggest health risks uh, the world has ever faced, tobacco, smoking. Um, another U.S. Department of Health and Human Services sub-agency declares that illiteracy is the silent epidemic. The ability to read, not having the ability to read, is a silent epidemic. According to the U.S. Surgeon General, the most widespread epidemic and the one that poses the greatest threat to public health is loneliness. Okay, so let's recap. Let's recap these um, epidemics, okay? Obesity, opioid overdose, tobacco use, illiteracy, loneliness, all right? So, the court points out, arguably, under the language of the statute that we're talking about today, the director of DHHS could determine that to protect the public health, it is necessary to control a, an epidemic that exists by taking measures to prevent an epidemic from even entering the state. So it doesn't even have to be in the state for them to take measures and, and issue these kinds of orders. And this is where it gets interesting. The court points out the, the ridiculousness here. For example, they say, if a contagious disease were spreading through Indiana, the director arguably could determine that control of an epidemic is necessary to protect the public health 
and exercise the powers of the statute to issue orders preventing Michigan residents from traveling to Indiana or re-entering Michigan from Indiana. Similarly, if obesity or loneliness were rampant in Indiana, which they are, arguably the director likewise could determine that control of an epidemic is necessary to protect the public health and exercise the powers of this law to issue orders imposing restrictions on Michigan residents. Relatedly, could the court, could the order, could the director of MDHHS order Michigan residents to socialize with one another, to combat the epidemic of loneliness? Could the director of MDHHS order Michigan residents to extra exercise vigorously to combat the obesity epidemic? arguing that these measures are necessary to ensure continuation of essential public health services. <laughs> the irony of this is no longer, uh, the irony of this no longer far-fetched hypothetical is apparent given the COVID-19 orders that required people do just the opposite. They restricted people from gathering and from using communal exercise facilities. So uh, this is really poetic, guys. The court is literally pointing out the idiocracy the irony, the just the parts of what they're doing here. If it's an epidemic, well, government agencies in our own country, let alone the World Health Organization that they all bow down to, um, have determined loneliness, illiteracy, obesity, tobacco, opioids, all those are already the most egregious and terrible and threatening epidemics. So we're going to be ordered now to exercise frequently and to we're going to be forced to hang out with people. <laughs> I don't know what they would do about reading. Are they going to force everybody to go back to school and get a GED if you don't have a high school diploma? I mean, that's what this court is pointing out. These these it's just ridiculous. So the court points out that this statute does little to limit or define what it is that MDHHS can order us to do. And something that we're pointing out here, I think I've already um, touched on this. I certainly touched on it myself in what I read to you, but um, from my own brief. But the, the court points out that while the EPGA considered in the in race certified questions case of 2020 is not the, sta the same statute they're considering today, it would seem incongruous to conclude that the director of a state department who was a member of the governor's cabinet and reportable to the governor could do by executive decree that which the governor herself is prohibited from doing. Yeah, so why didn't the Supreme Court in 2020 do what I was asking them to do and say, well, gosh, gee, if the governor can't do it, then the people that work for her can't do it either. Yeah, I roll on that one. Uh, okay, so there's some discussions that are not to me that I don't need to handle. Um, okay. Dang, we're, we're blowing up on the... Uh, <laughs> um, so Rogue Nation says, I am lonely. Can they take measures and get me some friends? Ex right? I know. Most of my friends are still up in Michigan having a good time without me. Well, 
they could keep the governor and the Democrat controlled legislature and the Democrat controlled Supreme Court and the three evil witches. So I guess I'll, I'm totally fine down here. But yeah, it gets lonely without friends. So, all right. Um, so Melanie is saying that these, the epidemics that I was referencing from this court case, she says, these are the epidemics government uh, governments are not addressing but are worse than COVID-19. Am I understanding this right? That's kind of what the this court is, is pointing out, that all these government agencies are saying, no, this is the most serious. This, this epidemic is the most threatening. But their point is also um, that there, there, there are epidemics always happening, right? The epidemic is such a loose term these days that why would you, um, why would it be okay for you know the threshold of this law to happen is just as long as there's an epidemic somewhere just because it's five o'clock somewhere doesn't mean you, you get to punch out from work and go home no it's not five o'clock here and if you have a nine to five job you have to work your whole shift in order to get paid and keep your job that's how it works so it's just it's just ridiculous um what i love is several pieces that uh, i'm not going to read to you but they all come from uh, a 2023 U.S. Supreme Court decision that this Court of Appeals case references, and it's the words of Justice uh, Gorsuch, and um, talking about uh, all of the um, executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders, forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, both public and private. They closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favored businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions, too. And it goes on and on and on. Um, and then they point out, this is this is from the U.S. Supreme Court case that's being quoted here. While executive officials issued new emergency decrees at a furious pace, state legislatures and Congress, the bodies normally responsible for adopting our laws, too often fell silent. Courts bound to protect our liberties addressed a few, but hardly all, of the intrusions upon them. Exactly. So he agrees with me too. Courts haven't gone far enough. They're only addressing little tiny fractions of what's going on and they're not doing it with enough oomph and force to just say enough. Enough is enough. Our, our rights are not for sale. Executive branches, legislative branches, judicial branches, none of them are allowed to contravene, contradict, override, or take away or infringe upon any of our God-given liberties, nor are they allowed to infringe upon any of our actual constitutional rights, the ones that are specific to our form of government or they're procedural in nature. And uh, and so they're not necessarily the natural uh, part of natural law of, of rights that God gave to us, other than the overarching, we have the right to be sovereign, right? So enough is enough. That's That's what the bottom line is here. They kind of end the discussion here by saying that political liberty is to be found only when there is no abuse of power. 
but constant experience shows us that every man invested with power is apt to abuse it and to carry his authority as far as it will go. So this is um, very, um, just, it, it's, it's good that they did that. That's, that's how they were ending this. Um, and, and they also talk about the people and how we have dropped the ball. Uh, so this is, again, my words that I'm reading here are um, from this Michigan Court of Appeals case that just came out three weeks ago that's quoting a U.S. Supreme Court decision from 2023. So it's applicable to everyone here, not just Michigan and not just the MDHHS orders. But they point out, um, he points out fear and the desire for safety are powerful forces. And some people will do anything to get that safety, right? To be able to know, oh, somebody's going to take care of me. And they're going to provide for me and they're going to keep me safe. And that's the government's job is to keep me safe, right? So um, great. Yes. Everything's scary right now. The world is scary. There's all these bad things. And it's the government's job to come in and protect me and act like my mommy um, or my daddy because I'm incapable of taking care of myself. <laughs> right? That's what a lot of Americans, unfortunately, said, Republican or Democrat, unfortunately. And along those lines, the court continued by saying, the U.S. Supreme Court, along the, along the way, we will accede to the loss of many cherished civil liberties, the right to worship freely, to debate public policy without censorship, to gather with friends and family, or simply to leave our homes. And he points out that decisions produced by those who indulge no criticism are rarely as good as those produced after robust and uncensored debate. I mean, good stuff is coming out of our courts these days. It's just too bad they're not connecting all the dots and going, okay, well, yeah, if this is true, which it is, then why don't we make the rest of the court cases and the statutes and the you know, actions of, of the executive branch, why don't we make them all comport to these, these truths, right? Um, and I love the shirts that some people have had um, even before 2020, but um, my freedom doesn't end where your fear begins and, you know, things like that. Uh, my friend, Mark Petzold, who uh, is a big contributor to my knowledge of freedom and, and the constitution and uh, good governance, uh, he and I used to serve um, uh, for Patriots on the board of a Patriots group in the Grand Rapids area uh, several years ago. But um, he used to always say, uh, oh, is it Second Timothy that um, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And, you know, it never sunk into me until the midst of the COVID fight. And I'm going, Oh, yes, yes, guys, yes. There are so many things to be afraid of. There will always be things to be afraid of. You know, whether you're afraid, afraid, like how we're in the corner afraid, or you're just overwhelmed, or you get anxious. You know, um, a good friend of ours, uh, a good friend of perhaps many of you that are watching or commenting today is uh, a fellow YouTuber, someone who uh, his channel has blown up significantly this year because he's out there just recording what happens in different government places and, and public facilities and um, and letting people see the truth. He's a First Amendment auditor. 
he himself is getting overwhelmed because of all of the crap that goes along with these things and they're throwing different cases at him and charges and different jurisdictions and and it's just you know it's it's easy to feel burnt out so is he afraid of what they're going to do in and of itself no but i get it i get the anxiety i have a brief that i've got to finish up to file in my own case with the city of ormond beach the appeal that i have there should i have to say one more word on it no if you guys have read my brief uh, that I filed, uh, let's see, was it probably June 2nd, I think it was. Read the brief there. Just look at the table of contents for crying out loud. You'll see all the bases are covered. I talked about how what they're doing to me with my fence, my pavers, and my shipping containers, how it violates my rights protected under the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment and the First Amendment and goes on and on and on. This is just not something that uh is easy to do it's it's going to make us weary the fight for freedom the fight to simply live and let live right just be your own just do your own thing and don't infringe on other people's rights just to be able to do that these days is a daily fight and far too many people act like the ostrich stick their head in the sand and go oh no everything's gonna be fine i'm just gonna stick my head here in the sand and the world can it's everything's fine i can't hear or see any of the bad stuff going on that's terrible because anyone knows how it looks when an ostrich does that their entire body is still open to attack by any predator so that's what's happening to us yes it's 2023 it's the middle of 2023 and so many people have thought it, that's it. We're done. We already won. You know, all the uh, these orders are, are, you know, no longer in place or this elected official that was bad is gone or, the, you know, the governor of New York has been replaced or the, whatever. Right. All these people are now, you know, people have been replaced. Policies have been replaced. Laws have been changed. OK, but is it enough? And do you really think it's good enough? to just leave it at that and walk away and say, well, that's it. We don't really need to be political anymore. I'm tired of hearing about politics. I'm tired of hearing about court cases and what the legislature is doing. If you're tired of having to do all that, then you better be okay with whatever they want to do to you. Just shut up and sit down and don't complain again because everybody has to do their part to stand up and fight in some way. You can't fight everything all at once. You can't fight local governments while you're fighting state governments, while you're fighting federal governments on every single topic where they're in, impacting our freedoms. I've generally tried to do that myself and it's it's too much. You have to focus, but you can't do the ostrich method. So be resourceful, be you know prudent with your resources, but you can't just give up the fight and say it's somebody else's turn or it's just nothing important enough that we need to, de to deal with right now. Of course, it's important. And even if a good conservative wins the next presidential election and, and we can, you know, have conservatives in the in Congress and in state legislatures and, you know, all 50 states have Republican governors, even if that's the outcome of the next set of elections. It's not enough. Because those that start good can turn bad. And those that um, act like they're good can can truly still be evil uh, or power hungry. I mean, it, we can never let our guard down. But anyway, um, 
Okay, let me just double check my screen, of course, went black again, so I apologize for that. Um, DA, who's on YouTube, says, I, I think they're asking me, do, do you wish you stayed in Michigan? Oh, no, no, no. I love my sunshine. I love being at the beach. I love being able to hear the sound of the ocean. And uh, there's going to be um, there's going to be a fight for sure uh, for freedom, no matter where you are. So might as well be in if I can't take vacations because I work too hard every day <laughs> and we've, we've never taken a vacation in the last five years. Uh, I might as well be where people go to vacation. Right. Um, all right. Catherine will be your friend as long as you feed her. Hey, now that's not entirely true, but steak and Tammy's chocolate chip cookies definitely go a long way. I'm just saying, um, at any rate, <laughs> and Melanie knew that comment was coming cause she's already commented cookies. Um, Okay, everyone in Michigan, Kelly Dean on YouTube says everyone in Michigan needs to call their senators to stop the pronoun law that the state house just passed. If it's in the house right now, she it looks like she's saying it's going to the Senate uh, next and you need to call your state senator. If you don't know who it is, look it up, call them immediately. They have a pronoun law that is passing and you need to stop it before it becomes a reality. I'm guessing it's largely similar to what the rule is that the Michigan Supreme Court, I don't know if they ended up deciding on it or not, but they had a proposed rule that you had to use somebody's preferred pronouns in court cases. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, let's see. And Thank you to Kelly, um, Kelly Dean on YouTube. You are doing God's work. Hopefully, I'm assuming you're talking to me on there. Hopefully, uh, I can continue to pave the way for people to fight for their own, their own freedom uh, because I, this is definitely my calling. I know I'm called to be doing this. Um, okay, let's see here. Okay, I'm just looking back and make sure I am not... Um, missing any comments. Um, Blue Steel, I don't recall, but you're commenting on Ormond Beach. Are you also in Ormond Beach? I thought, maybe I'm mixing you up with somebody else. I thought you were the one that was commenting from Gainesville. Um, okay. Oh, awesome. Amy P says, I've been handing out pocket-sized constitution books when people seem confused about things. Folks, I encounter out in public, starting conversations. It's been received well so far. Amy, I don't think you've been um, involved with things. Okay, I'm just going to have to refresh. Give me one more second, guys. Okay, we'll see if this works. All right, so, and I don't even have our typical Restore Freedom stuff in here, so not sure what's going on, but anyway, it is what it is. So, um, okay, Rogue Nation, thanks for tuning in today. Um, we will touch base soon, I'm sure. Uh, and almost all the comments 
erase. That is awesome. I can't see the comment that I was addressing. Um, dang it. I don't remember what it was. Lori, if you, um, if you recall what comment it was that I was just talking about when I decided to uh, refresh the screen, let me know because I want to say it was important and that's why I went through uh, the hassle of doing that. Um, uh, be aware of what is happening in Lansing. That is not the comment that I was commenting on, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, hopefully Lori will find the comment that I was talking about. Oh, pocket size constitutions. Okay. So uh, just to let you guys know, back in 2020 and 2021, um, maybe into 2022, uh, I was buying pocket constitutions like this and handing them out um, to basically just selling them right back to people at the same cost that I had into it, just to mail them out to people, to help people just like you hand them out. Some people would order just one or two. Some people would order 20 or 30. And it was great. Uh, unfortunately, I no longer had the time to try to keep all those kind of orders out and going and handle all the legal work and all the tech work and, you know, running the website and, and everything else. So I couldn't keep doing that. But it is a great idea to do. And there are good places on the internet that you can go and get, you know, a bulk, you have, have a hundred of them sent to you. And it's not that expensive um, to be able to do and have those on hand and explain to people about things. You um, can no longer download the app that we had created, the Restore Freedom Constitution app, but if you have it on your phone, it should still work. And uh, we will be some point uh, soon, hopefully, I will be able to finish writing the new app and have that up and available for you guys as well. Um, but having it on your phone is a good thing. Um, and having it literally downloaded to your phone so you're not just relying on an internet connection would be good. Um, all right. So I think that was all. Yes, it was. Uh, thank you. Amy had reminded me too. I couldn't see any of these comments showing up. Um, Blue Steel, if you're talking to me, Blue Steel's asking, do you need volunteers? If, uh, if you're talking to me, I always need volunteers because at one point when we had tons of volunteers all over the place, we were able to accomplish a lot more, keep an eye on more laws, keep an eye on court cases, um, that if people help me, if there's people willing to be out there helping me to, to keep that watchful eye on legislation as it's coming out, um, or, you know, just different things to be aware of and to spread the word about, um, that can help me greatly because then I can actually get to the meat of things and work on things. Or if somebody has tech skills they want to help us with or whatever. Um, so, um, Amy, thank you for joining us as well, uh, on YouTube and, uh, mentioning that it's been a great discussion today. I, I really, here's the thing, guys, I actually love having more of a true discussion. So um, I'd love to have your thoughts about what you guys think we should do uh, to, to maybe change things up a little bit so we can have actual discussion, whether um, uh, whether it's switching over to the uh, Twitter, whatever, Twitter spaces, I think is what it is, where there's no video. My understanding is there's no video. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there is video. Um, but there's audio and, um, people can essentially call in or through Podbean. That's my uh, main source of where I upload the podcasts to, um, after we've done them here on YouTube and other places. Um, Podbean also has a way that I can have you guys call in 
live while I'm doing something on that. So if you guys can let me know, I would love to be able to have much of uh, much more of a live discussion about that. And, and perhaps, um, oh, perhaps, you know, the, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm trying to figure out different ways to do it. Uh, I know that the attention span of the average, of the average person is uh, pretty short, unfortunately, these days. And so um, I don't try to make the videos very long, but when they're an important topic and uh, it seems to be something that there's just tons of information to, that I want to share with you that you should know. I don't want to shortchange you just because, oh, I want to keep it to 59 minutes today or whatever the case is. So anyway, give me um, give me your guys' feedback. Um, Telegram. I'm not sure how the that every, everything works on Telegram. So I guess I could maybe explore that a little bit. Um, and uh, Lori, I guess if you're still there, if you could connect with Blue Steel about volunteering or whatever, I'm not quite understanding what the conversation is there because my screen is unfortunately not reloaded all the comments that were coming in. So um, anyway, so I think uh, I think we'll check it out. So um, let us know, please let us know what you think. Like I said, Twitter Spaces and uh, Podbean are the two that come to mind that you can have a live interaction without necessarily scheduling someone on as a guest, but more just any one of you could be calling in and uh, throwing in your comments on that, as well as being able to have that, that written dialogue, which I think both of those um, uh, seems to work. So um, anyway, um, thank you for joining me today. I think if you're interested, I think maybe we'll attempt to go uh, live for a, a little bit on Twitter or Podbean and just a, a little bit here uh, just to give it a try and, and see see what's, um, you know, how it works. And so if any of you guys are interested in doing that, um, just keep an eye out. What we'll do is we'll comment on Facebook and YouTube uh, telling people, hey, we're going to go ahead and try a, a Twitter Spaces live presentation in the next five minutes or whatever we'll kind of give you a heads up just to let you know which platform it is and, and hopefully you'll be able to join us it won't be very long um it'll just be um something to test the waters and see how you guys like it so all right um All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, lots of good comments still going on and please continue to make those comments, but uh, we will sign off on the video aspect of things right now. And uh, like I said, try out one of the other or two of the other platforms to see how well you guys like those. Um, any support that you guys can give is also helpful. Like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But do make sure that if you have 5, 10, 50, 100, 500,000, whatever dollars that you want to put towards um, a good use, uh, we have our weekly newsletter, we have uh, the Constitution segment recaps, we have the website, all of those things cost money out of pocket. And I would really like to be able to, at the very least, maintain the kinds of resources that we have available to you, if not add uh, a significant amount of uh, additional resources available to you. So if anybody can donate to keep those things going, please let me know, please reach out, head to our website. Uh, there's a support and uh, donate tab uh, right on the, you know, the top of our website. Check that out. 
Um, but you can, you know, sponsor if your business or organization wants to sponsor for a month on any one of our uh, different endeavors that we do, then you can actually get recognition with uh, clicks to your, your website, um, with your logo, you name it. So please check out those opportunities and support us in any way that you can so that we can keep this going and uh, keep educating people on freedom and their ability to do things. So all right, we will see you on uh, Wednesday for our Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge. That's just a post. Uh, let's see, Thursday, we'll see you for our 10-minute, hopefully it'll just be 10 minutes again this week, uh, Constitution segment recap video. Friday, our freedom fighting tools will be shared. And Saturday is another way for you to uh, be able to support the Restore Freedom mission. Uh, and of course, next Tuesday at noon Eastern Standard Time, we will go live to you on another freedom fighting important topic. So thanks so much, everyone. Have a wonderful day.